Hello and welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those who have traveled far away and those who are sitting here and those who are participating virtually. My name is Wayne Solomon. I am the son-in-law of Jean. And so the family just would like to take the time to extend our appreciation for your presence here. Thank you for being here to celebrate with us the life of Jean, Jean Smith, a life well lived. And as we begin our time together today, reflecting on Jean, it's, it's worth mentioning that the words that we will hear read today, the music selections which we will collectively sing today. These are our words, these are musical selections that were hand-picked by Gene. Uh, this, these were not picked by 
by Jay. <laughs> these were not picked by uh, other family members. These, these were words that were hand-selected by Jean with intentionality. Uh, my family had the opportunity to be here this summer uh, in, in the last months of Jean's life. And, and we saw her preparing and reflecting and meditating on those words that she would want uh, said today, read today, and sung today. Uh, those of us who, who knew Jane, we know that she was a person of great confidence. And in the words, I think we will all see today where that confidence lied. It's, it's, it was not in herself. And it was a, in a confidence outside of herself. And we know she was, yes, one may say a person of faith. It was the object of that faith in which will become very clear in those words. The words sung, the words read, we will be hearing today the context for each as to why they were significant in her life. So uh, the family would like you to know that as we begin. So let me open up our time together now in prayer. Uh, join me, will you? Gracious and heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the life of Jean Lois Smith. We thank you for the blessing that she was for those of us that knew her. We thank you that you were a significant part of her life. In fact, the motivation behind the way in which she interacted with all of us. We thank you that the only comfort for Jean in life and in death was her faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, we pray that as we come here and honor her and reflect her and remember her, that we would also step into her shoes for this time and and see what was so important to her in her life. So we thank you for this opportunity and pray all these things in her great comfort, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as Wayne alluded to, these scriptures had a very important meaning to her, and I might add to myself as well. Um, some of you know this and some don't, but there was a point in time in our lives together where she and I partnered to go on the mission field, uh, specifically to South America and to two or three different countries over the course of a decade or so. Um, during our first trip together, we were challenged uh, to come up with a scripture that would be meaningful to 
her or me, depending on the situation, uh, that would be our theme or our scripture verse that we would hang on, claim, during the week or 10 days that we were in, in this case, uh, Venezuela. Um, this occurred back in April of 1999 when we left Miami, went to Caracas, and then took a puddle jumper to a town called Barquisa Meto. And from there, we um, journeyed to a remote area of the country where we were part of a consortium of doctors and nurses that had done this for years before we joined them and continued to do it for years afterward. Uh, it was a team led by a, a doctor at a medical facility in down uh, Nashville area. And uh, we all met at Miami International and, and made the journey. Uh, but what I really wanted to emphasize is the fact that we had to pick a, a verse out of the Bible that we would say would be repeated or relied on during our time that we were there. And so um, I'll read hers in a minute uh, for your information. Mine was Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, but hers was the following one. It came from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it goes as follows. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you in your righteous right hand. That was the verse that she relied on during the time we were there. I should mention that on that same trip, there were two other people from our church. Uh, one was uh, Janie Keith, and her husband Ted is here today. Also, Dwight and Karen Merrill. I don't know if Karen's here or, or not, but I wanted you to be aware that it was a team that went there and set up a clinic in a remote village. But that was her claim. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you in your righteous right hand. And I will always remember that verse. The song that follows has words to it that I think you can relate to. If you would, and sing about that one that is our all in all.
may be seated. Our second scripture reading is from Paul's letter to the people in Rome, a letter that he wrote around 57 years or so after the death of Christ. And the relevance of these verses to Gene and myself goes back to 1982 when our daughter Courtney contracted leukemia. In those days, recovery from leukemia was at best a 50-50 probability. That's better probability today than then. But back then, it was uh, a tough road to hoe. Fortunately, uh, Children's Hospital Network had a facility in Norfolk, where at the time I was stationed with the Navy. And I was able to convince the Navy to transfer or assign Courtney to Children's Hospital rather than the Naval Hospital. I guess you might say a little more confidence in the Children's Hospital network. Uh, But the journey from diagnosis to treatment to remission, and yes, she is in remission and here today, it was a humbling time for us as a family, a humbling time, a heart-wrenching time as well, for which the details are not necessary at this time, but it was a time that the whole family uh, had to deal with a very real and personal crisis, and it brought us to our knees more than once. Gene referred to this reading that I'm going to give you as one of many scriptures that she clung to while we were dealing with the special care and treatment that was necessary you could probably add the word leukemia to the Bible. I know that's probably not, uh, that may be a sin, I'm not sure. But uh, you can add the word leukemia to uh, verse 35. So here goes, it's uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 35 and following. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The song you are about to hear was recorded by a Christian music artist. Some of you may be familiar with the name Steve Green. I was at a church, we were all at a church in Virginia Beach at that time, and Steve Green was invited to give a concert at a church And what was particularly uh, moving was that he took time off and came and visited Courtney. And uh, Steve Green has always been uh, a favorite of ours, and you will now have a chance to hear 
I'm going to sing a song that I hope is relevant and meaningful to you. Uh, so we're going to hear a recording by Steve Green, and afterward you're going to hear Michael give a eulogy, and I have no idea what he's going to say. So. <laughs> Joy of our return. 
Good morning. My name is Mike Salisbury. Jean, the sister of my mother, Lorna, was my aunt, and I'm honored that Jay and the family asked me to share with you some meaningful words about the life of Jean as seen through the eyes of many and not just mine. Jay did write the first draft of this, <laughs> and then Cousin Jen and I got our hands on it, uh, but it's largely in the spirit of, of Jay's, uh, Jay's writing and, and certainly our memory of, of my Aunt Jean. I suppose every story must have a beginning, and what better way to relate to life wonderfully lived than to do just that. Jean was born on October 8, 1947, to her parents, Lauriston and Lois, and her first home was a log cabin in the rural section of Wells, Maine. There was no running water. All the water was hauled from the pond in the woods behind the house. The outhouse was furnished with um, Sears and Roebuck catalogs, if you get my drift. Jean and her siblings, Lorna and David, had a weekly bath in front of the stove every Saturday night, and they all shared one room. All the kids' clothes were sewn by hand, and not surprising, Jean learned how to sew and cook at a very early age. Skills that served her well throughout her life, but more on that later. World War II had just ended, and her dad, Lorison, had just returned from Europe and started out as a carpenter's apprentice. Her parents were not well off, and everyone worked to make ends meet. Thanksgivings were frequently next door at great-grandma's farmhouse. All the men, including her brother David, went out hunting for that deer early Thanksgiving mornings with the hope of getting a deer, but most of the time trudged home without a deer, but just in time for turkey fixings and tons of desserts. These meals were sometimes remembered, remembered fondly as Thanksgiving force feeds, as seconds to the main course and desserts were not optional. Apparently, David was apt to frequently give Jean what was known then as an Indian sunburn, something they teased and threatened each other about as adults, and Jean would fondly remember those days for the decades to follow. My Aunt Jean attended Wells High School, where her yearbook for the senior class of 1965 listed some of her collateral interests, such as science club, cheerleader, basketball, National Honor Society, and several others, but I was particularly intrigued to read about one of her other collateral interests, a certain senior named Jay Smith. My mom and Jean would go on double dates. I'm not sure who was chaperoning who, but Jean started to take a certain liking to Jay, and Jay wrote this romantic antidote uh, in her yearbook, and I happen to have the yearbook right here. <laughs> Let's see. Let's go to the right page here. Who's that handsome young man? Oh, that's not Jay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. What did Jay write to, to Jean? Um, to Jeannie with the light brown hair. Nice start. Best of luck for the rest of your two years at Wells. Hope you are successful in everything you do. See you this summer. Jay. Well, not love Jay, <laughs> just Jay. And this is something that my Aunt Jean would never let him live down. 
although it was another five years before they got married. Jean went on to attend the University of Maine at Orono for two years, followed by another two years at the University of Maine School of Nursing at their Portland campus, where she obtained her bachelor's degree in nursing in 1969. Degree in hand, she applied for and got accepted to a position at the Boston's prestigious Children's Hospital. In fact, within a year, she was a charge nurse of the Children's Burn Unit, which had a lasting impact on her approach to nursing. As luck or fate or divine intervention would have it, the U.S. Navy ordered Jay to report for duty on an aircraft carrier undergoing decommissioning at the Boston Naval Shipyard. This allowed them to reconnect, although they had never totally severed ties, and had maintained a long-distance relationship by writing letters back and forth. Jay, of course, the romantic that he is, called these love letters. Gene had a more practical interpretation of these notes, calling them travel logs and weather reports. <laughs> While this courtship was going on, my mother Lorna decided to marry Daniel Salisbury, an Air Force guy. And Jean was my mother's maid of honor at her wedding. I can only imagine this event served to motivate Jean to also marry into the service. While us Salisbury strongly believe the Air Force is the best branch of the United States Armed Forces, the Smith family, for some reason, always thought the Navy was better. While the Army-Navy football game seemed to get all the publicity in this country, we all know the Air Force-Navy football game is the most important football game of the year. The friendly debates between our families about which branch of service is superior would go on for years, generating much good-natured ribbing and laughter at our family gatherings. Jay asked Jean to marry him while they were riding a, in a horse-drawn carriage in Central Park in New York City. They, he thought it was quite romantic, probably hoping to make up for that yearbook entry. An obvious question to a woman marrying a Navy guy is, where does the Navy intend to ship us if I decide to marry you? With orders already in hand, Jake gave Jean the answer to her query, that which only appropriate answer was an excited, yes, sir, when do we ship out? You see, Jay had orders for the Naval Air Station in Bermuda. But they only had a week between duty stations, so they got married on the 4th of July in 1970 in Wells, Maine, honeymoon near Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire, and they were on the job in Bermuda by July 8th. Thus began a honeymoon that lasted a long time, 53 years to be exact. While living in Bermuda, their first daughter, Jennifer, was born at King Edward Memorial Hospital with the help of a Jamaican midwife and a Scottish doctor. You can see by the joy in Jean's eyes on this visit back home to Maine with Jennifer, introducing this new addition to the family to my grandmother, Lois, my parents, and to me. These are very pleasant memories. And I was an only child, and this was an introduction to a little cousin named Jen. And uh, I learned what a little sister uh, was like. To introduce the spiritual side of our lives, of their lives, let me state somewhat facetiously that Jean, raised a Congregationalist, was getting used to living with an American Baptist. Fortunately, the Navy chap uh, chapels were non-denominational, so all was well until the next duty station. Two major events occurred. First, Jean was led to a deeper understanding of Christ and agreed to be baptized in a cold Georgia stream by the base chaplain, someone they have kept in contact with to this very day, thus uniting Jay and Jean in a similar way. And secondly, along came Courtney to increase the female voting block of the Smith household. 
But the Navy has a way of keeping you on the move, so Gene dutifully accompanied Jay from Georgia to North Carolina to Virginia Beach, where her vision of what it might mean to be both a Christian and a nurse began to take shape. Once settled in Virginia Beach, they joined a Southern Baptist church. Jean's first step was to co-teach with Jay some young girls where both of them learned to enjoy sharing God's word. But staying with our focus on this morning on Jean, she really blossomed with young children and stayed committed to teaching children and youth for the next 40 years. But other changes happened as well. She caught a vision of how God was using missionaries to spread the gospel to other people groups in areas all around the world. As my Uncle Jay bounced between sea and shore duty, Jean was the pillar and the rock for Jennifer and Courtney's upbringing. Jean was also known for her amazing soprano voice, just like her mother, singing in several different groups and choirs. She even had a solo concert in Virginia Beach. During this time is where I formed my first really strong memories of my Aunt Jean. I fondly remember taking a family trip to Virginia Beach to visit, bringing along my friend H.G., and my Aunt Jean accepted H.G. immediately into the family, just like he was there all along. H.G. really appreciated that. We had such a good trip and made very lasting memories. Jean made ornaments for her kids and grandkids, nieces and nephews, based on their milestones and interests. Every Christmas, I would look forward to unwrapping my new Christmas ornament from Aunt Jean that she made me, many of which still hang on my Christmas tree today. Aunt Jean often matched the ornament with an interest I had in my life. Growing up, I played the drums in the school band, and in college, I played for the golf team. And the delicacy of some of her ornaments, as shown in the Christmas boot, is always a conversation piece. These ornaments are very pleasant memories and reminders of Aunt Jean for me and her grandchildren each Christmas as we unbox and hang these ornaments on our Christmas tree. Tragically, Courtney contracted childhood leukemia, and which necessitated a career change for Jay, but more importantly, led the family to join a support group of parents who were dealing with similar diagnosis. It was there her walk took on a deeper meaning. Also, it was there that faith took on a deeper dimension as Jean became an advocate and spokesperson for the Leukemia Society of America, and Courtney became their poster child. The whole family melded together in a way that changed lives forever as they all came to appreciate the meaning of life and the power of prayer. It was with that shaping that God led them home to Maine, back to the Smith family home on Perkins Cove, and it would turn out to be Jay's final tour of duty, that being at the Navy's shipyard in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Jay and Jean looked around for a new church home and politely overlooked the hometown options since they had become enamored with the Southern Baptist approach to ministries, but more importantly, Jean wanted something for her two daughters, who were now just entering high school and junior high, respectively. They settled at Screven Memorial Baptist Church, which is the same place you are sitting in today. It went through a name change along the way, but the same gospel and the same God. The Smith family joined in 1990 and have been here ever since. Over the last four decades, Jean's life went, underwent changes and challenges. For many of you here, these more recent decades define a period of time that you first met Jean. Some met her as a Sunday school teacher when you were young. Uh, for others, it was a, as a woman when she led adult la ladies' Bible studies. For others, it may have been as a patient of hers at York Hospital. For others, it may have been a tired-out pastor looking for respite at the family guest house in Perkins Cove. For others, it may have been as a nurse practitioner in private practice with Dr. Lauder. For others, it may have been as a creator or distributor of thousands of COVID masks. For others, it may have been as a co-founder of the York 
Hospital Breast Cancer Survivors Group, or it may have been as a camp nurse at the Farmington Christian Conference Center, or for a special few, it was as a co-laborer as one of the dozen medical mission trips to South America. It was this last category that was special. Jean joined a collaboration of Baptist doctors and nurses that annually, over 10 years, went to Venezuela, Brazil, Paraguay, to provide medical, dental, pharmaceutical, and optometrical assistance to the indigenous people in remote locations, often outdoors in jungle settings or inside homes with dirt-covered floors, bare wires, and minimum sanitary standards. Although medical and dental work was given freely, the ulterior motive was to demonstrate the love of Christ and the gospel message that he brings. I have heard from reliable sources that this was the highlight of Jean's married life. It's worth stopping and mentioning this morning about one such trip that Uncle Jay shared with me. On one journey to Venezuela, Aunt Jean and Uncle Jay elected to stay behind the rest of the group and join a small team and a local missionary that agreed to climb five miles straight up the steep mountains where the Andes merge on the Colombian and Venezuelan border. The destination was the Yucpa Indian tribe that was above the clouds with no electricity, no running water, and where one slept in hammocks strung between posts and trees. Jean became fatigued, and not long into the five-mile vertical ascent, she was offered an option of continuing by donkey. While she accepted, she was warned to never look down, keep your eye focused on the path ahead. You see, that path was six, inch six inches wide. The precipice was steep, and you prayed that the donkey was more sure-footed than a mountain goat. But in more recent times, her medical skills and her seamstress talents were put to greatest use when Jean partnered with the missionary Ina York in the Dominican Republic. Accompanied by the other ladies from this church, she made multiple trips to the Dominican Republic to teach the ladies there how to make bracelets, clothing, and other necessities so that they become self-sufficient. The next phase of the ministry in the Dominican was to create a school of classrooms and provide a headquarters for the mission teams to the town where Ina has her base camp. In honor of Jean's commitment to the people of the Dominican Republic, the Smith family has asked you to consider a financial gift to the Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators, the support agency that under, undergirds Ina's ministry there. You can do that by following the instructions in the memorial guide. No discussion of my aunt would be complete without the mention of her cooking skills. She was an amazing cook and being particularly gifted at making pies and pastries. The most likely result of her summer jobs that she had growing up working in the kitchens of Agunquit. She could cook anything and cook it well. One of Jay's perennial favorites were Santa Claus cookies made with shredded coconut beards, red sugar hats, and raisin eyes, a recipe in cookie molds that she inherited from her mother and passed on. I recall with great fondness the famous Smith family reunions, often at Thanksgiving, <laughs> when Aunt Jean cooked for 25 or 30 folks and nobody went away hungry. There they are. Football games after dinner were followed by a second round of homemade blueberry pie gently warmed up and topped with vanilla ice cream. This strong connection of food, family, and friends served as a bond between Jean, her siblings, and her daughters, and the house on the cove was an anchor point for connecting with her nieces, nephews, and the wider family. Being back in Maine meant Jean could be more connected to her family, Jean's brother David was blessed with twins, Russell and Haley, and Jean was often there in the early years helping out. David's son Kyle remembers the times they connected when the well at David's house would sometimes run dry, and they would fill up dozens of gallons of water at Jean's house 
and have the opportunity to connect with Jean about life. Later in life, when her brother David needed additional care due to Parkinson's disease, Jean would often visit David, and Jean made their studio apartment available for Kyle so that his family could spend meaningful time with David during his last years. And for myself, I have strong memories of the time spent around the Smith Thanksgiving table, connecting with family and friends, and introducing my wife, Julie, and eventually my children, Alec and Isaac, to the family. Jean especially enjoyed sharing cooking tricks with Jennifer's three daughters, which um, partially explains why they also enjoy cooking, and secondarily, it partially, partially explains why Uncle Jay is outnumbered six to two in his family, <laughs> with son-in-law Wayne vainly trying to attempt to help offset the male-female ratio. That's right, three granddaughters, Gracie, Ava, and Emma, who are all here today. This past summer, all of the girls lived in a gunkwit and each repaid Oma, as the girls called her, by cooking her favorite concoctions as Jean's strength waned. Jay emphatically expressed to me that these three girls were the love and joy of Jean's life. She loved them immensely and would want to know everything about their lives, their joys, the new things that they learned, their silly adventures, even those they were dating and, and as they entered young adulthood. And from, time to t from the time they were born until the very end, these girls were a special focus to Jean's life. Whether they were here in person or at some distant locale, they were a constant source of attention. She loved to travel and visit the grandkids, even over to Belgium as Jennifer and her husband Wayne moved there for work. Besides the aforementioned cooking prowess, Jean also enjoyed sewing dresses, whether it be for a play or a prom, whether it be a Halloween costume or a Star Wars cosplay party or Easter dresses. Jean's magic needles went hard to work. As if cooking and sewing were not enough, Jean was a gifted gardener. Whether it be a flower or vegetable, she always had her hands in the dirt. As a young girl, she enjoyed working in a makeshift greenhouse made out of recycled window panes where she would plant vegetables from seed, raise them to maturity, and then cook, can, and store them for the long Maine winters. Every duty station that Navy took her was seen as an opportunity to try her hand at some of the produce or flowers unique to that region. She loved roses and lilacs in particular, but every imaginable flower was populated among the rock gardens or special beds that lined her home or window boxes in a gunkwit. These often decorated the dining room table for no particular purpose other than just sheer enjoyment. The vegetables and berries were less fortunate, often never making it into the house before they were consumed. As you know, nothing beats fresh tomatoes, snap beans, or peas out of the pod, ripened and warmed by the sun, under the caring hand of Jean. Friends, this is what a life well-lived looks like. I give thanks to God for the spiritual gifts that Jean was blessed with, and I am grateful that Jean put those gifts to good use. For me, whenever I saw my Aunt Jean in person or in a picture, I saw my mother. It was more than just a resemblance physically, they shared many of the same mannerisms, as sisters often do. I wanted to acknowledge that there's a special connection between a mother and their child. I distinctly felt this when my mom passed away. And now Jennifer and Courtney are experiencing this as well. Jennifer says she was a jerky teenager, and I have to agree. <laughs> but once she left the house, Jean and Jennifer's relationship blossomed into a lifelong friendship and partnership. 
Jen is already missing, missing the regular phone calls, chatting about life on both sides of the phone, and receiving her mom's thoughtful guidance as life presented new challenges. And Courtney is so thankful how much her mother helped her in so many different ways throughout the challenging points of her life. She will miss the times in the kitchen making Christmas cookies with her mom, helping her mom with maintaining a garden and working together to take care of the chores around the house. They both, Jen and Courtney, had a true partnership, helping each other move through life, building connections, forming an unbreakable bond. As Uncle Jay expressed to me, there's a void in his life and an echo in the house down by the cove. Time will start to fill the void and tend to soften the echoes, but the memories of Jean will remain vivid and meaningful for Jay, Jen, and Courtney, and for all those who loved her. My Aunt Jean lived an amazing life, and these words I shared just touched the surface of all that she accomplished and the lives she changed. And at this time, it's an opportunity for folks to come up and share what Jean's life meant to you. And the microphone is right up on the front left. Hey, I'm Debbie Boyle. I'm uh, been friends with Jean since about 1991, when uh, we really started to get to know each other. I would like first to read uh, just a message from Ina York, who was the head of the Circadio Project, that Jean was, has been involved in since the beginning. Ina says, I have so many precious memories of Jean. We first met when she was the camp nurse at Farmington Conference Center maybe in the 80s or early 90s. At the end of the week, Jean asked me a question that she continued to ask me through the years. What are you doing to rest after this? She was always reminding me of the need for rest and providing a place for that if I was in New England. Jean came to the DR several times with a variety of friends. One constant travel companion was Janie Keith, who we also lost this year. Jean always brought new sewing and crafting ideas along with necessary materials for our ladies to make and to support their families. She showed such love to our ladies through the years that they were devastated to learn of her illness and passing. In the DR, she was known as Gina. One day recently, I was grieving the loss of Jean and all the ways she encouraged me. I was thinking how I lost a major cheerleader. And then a wonderful thought. She is now part of the great cloud of witnesses cheering me on from heaven. My life and ministry are definitely richer for having had the chance to know Jean. I'm going to tell you one funny thing about my friend Jean. I've been here 37 years, and almost every new woman who has come through this church has at one time cornered me and said, I don't think Jean Smith likes me. And where I have carefully explained, oh, no, that's just Jean. That's just Jean. Don't even worry about it. She loves you like you're her sister. And always, always made me laugh, but it always happens. Uh, Jean had a way of just saying what was the truth. She didn't really flower things up too much or mess around. If you asked her a question, she answered it. Um, I'm going to tell you another thing that I wish we could all learn from Jean Smith. 
Uh, we have a care team here, and I was the contact person for the Smith family uh, during her illness. If you called Jean and said, what do you need? She told you. She told you specifically. She told you what she did not want, what she really wanted. She never said, as we often do, oh, we're fine. Oh, no, thank you. Jean, I can't tell you what a blessing that was to our church that she allowed us to minister to her. So next time somebody says, what do you need? You think of Jean Smith and tell the truth. And the last thing I want to say about my dear, sweet friend, um, I went through a little bit about of depression a couple of years ago due to some losses in my life. And counselors were not available, and I was just really struggling. And one day she called me and said, Hey, on Tuesdays we're going to have coffee and talk until we can get you through this. And I went on Tuesdays and had coffee and talk for about six or eight months, and she got me through that. And that is a blessing. That was a woman of God who emptied her vessel so that God could fill it, and then she shared God's filling with all of us. And I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to have a friend like Jean. Uh, hi, I'm Ava. I'm one of Oma's grandkids, but she meant a lot to all of us. And as uh, Michael mentioned, uh, she was always cooking, um, either for her family or for others in need or friends. But while within her kitchen, there was a sacred text of sorts, um, the Betty Crocker cookbook. Um, I left it at home, but if you could see it, it's missing its cover. It's more of a stack of loose-leaf paper at this point, but it is the implication of a cookbook at this point. But um, it's well-loved and <laughs> frequently used. Every time I'd come up to visit Maine, for as long as I can remember, uh, the tome was cracked open and was cooked together. Uh, Betty Crocker is kind of multi-generational for our family. Uh, Mom got it when she went on her own, and this summer when I was with her, I was blessed with the sacred text. Um, let me see. But the whole summer we'd cook together uh, with Oma, or if she wasn't in the mood to cook, uh, we would reference the, the book of knowledge. But uh, whenever the source of a meal was revealed to be Betty Crocker, she'd light up, and it was clear that it meant a lot to her. And the joy it brought her, that spunky sparkle in her eyes, it meant a lot to us too. But uh, when word got to me that Oma passed, um, I cracked open the cookbook. I made uh, her butternut squash soup. I don't know if you've ever had it, but it is the best soup I've ever had. But when I made it, it wasn't a craving. It was in memory of her. Um, it was a way of saying I love you and I miss you. Um, it was how I felt closer to her. It was a love letter to her. And I'm so glad I have these memories with her that all of us do. Um, she's affected our lives, and it's so hard to articulate what someone that's been with you for your entire life, how much they mean to you. But I love her so much, and I'm glad every day that I can remember her by doing something as simple as making dinner.
name is Joanne Noel. And I don't mean to cry, but I had breast cancer. And when I was diagnosed with it, it was scary. And this, the doctor had said, there is a breast cancer survivor's group. And I, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and that was when I first met Jean. And, um, it, you know, every month I was at the meetings, and, and we, we decided that it was time to have a breast cancer group. And um, she and I worked on it together, and it, it just was unbelievable what we did and the amount of people that showed up for the breast cancer walk. And um, she just, just was a very special lady. And, and then after the, we had, it became a time that it, it, you know, we decided that there weren't enough people coming to the meetings and stuff like that. And, um, you know, they decided that we shouldn't, you know, have it. But it was during that time when I was diagnosed. I thought everybody just died right away after they had breast cancer. But there was brought hope. And that's what I have to say. And then listening to you and wow, after the you know, she had so much more to give people too. It's amazing. And I didn't mean to cry, but it made me, she made me feel good about what I was doing and that I could make it. And here I am. My name is Leslie Gibson, and I met Jean when we first started attending this church in 2016. We moved here because both of my parents had cancer and my dad had dementia. So it was a very difficult time for our family. And Jean was my cheerleader. She made sure to check in on me, to see how things are going. She invited me over to her home. We had tea and muffins. And she just checked. She just wanted to know that we were okay. She invited us over to stay in her studio multiple times and just really gave peace to us in the middle of a storm. We ended up moving during COVID to Pennsylvania to our new home. And that wonderful Zoom Bible study that she led, um, I was part of it when we were in Maine. And she invited me to stay with the girls when we went to Pennsylvania. And... Um, that Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock was such a special, special time for me. Um, I got to connect with my friends, my dear, dear friends here. Jean blew me away that in the middle of all of her own storms, she kept teaching, she kept praying, and she kept checking in. And um, I was able to surprise her uh, two weeks before she passed and join her in person 
or her Zoom study. And the look on her face, I just loved it so much. But I think the great encouragement that I have learned from her is it really doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is how you use that time. And she used her time so well. She kept studying, she kept teaching, she kept praying during our Zoom studies. She never rushed during our study, even though I know maybe Jay was ready for dinner. <laughs> she made sure to find out what our prayer needs were, and she was faithful to pray and to follow up and to check with you. My life is forever changed by your sweet, sweet bride. And I thank you for sharing her with me. Hi, my name's Isaac Salisbury. I'm uh, Mike Salisbury and Julie Salisbury's son. Um, a lot of Jean reminded me of my grandmother, Lorna, um, and I want to bring a story of laughter from uh, Jean, Lorna, Jay, and Mike, and myself. It was one Thanksgiving, and uh, I, I might have been like six years old, and my dad says, hey, Isaac, I'm like, yeah, dad, what, what's up? Can you uh, go tell Jay that Navy stinks? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, dad. So I walk over, and Jean's sitting next to you, and I go, hey, Jay. It's like, oh, yeah, how's it going? Navy stinks. And Gene and, and, and Jay look at me like, what, what's going on? And then Dad laughing over there. And it, I just wanted to bring up the fact that laughter was a big part of Gene's life and for Grammy, too. And it's, thank you for being here. It's wonderful. Go Air Force. <laughs> no, 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 no. My name is Lucky Gibson. Uh, that was my bride. That uh, was so special to Jean, and Jean was so special to her. And uh, I know today is a, a, a day of great, great sadness. Not for Jean, because Jean is looking on the face of Jesus. Jean knows no pain, no sorrow. Jean is waiting. But it's sadness for us. We've slept hard for husbands and daughters and grandchildren, for friends and family. And yes, we've heard heard that before where uh, people say that when I first met Jean I didn't think she liked me but that was because I think Jean was so timid and shy and never spoke her opinion <laughs> and, uh, we became part of the church family eight years ago when we moved here and three years ago we moved again but uh, if Jean tells you that your eyebrows are sticking up too far and you need to trim them then you probably need to trim them she's not being mean <laughs> It's just something that needs to be done. But Jean was quick to tell you other things too. About how God loved you. And that how you should lead by example. 
by having a good marriage. How you should run your home. And they welcome people into their home and into their family. Today is sad for us because our hearts are breaking because we're on this world. But we've yet to go to be with the Lord when we can see her again. And we have a hope in that, not in, in the worldly sense where hope means a wish or a want. But in the Hebrew definition of hope, it means an earnest expectation of that which is to come. So we have that hope. And it, it makes me think of David. When David in Second Samuel was praying for his infant son. And he prayed and he fasted and he lay in sackcloth on ashes. But his infant son died. And those servants were scared to tell him. But he realized something was going on. He asked them what was going on. And they told him his son had died. And David immediately got up, bathed, changed his clothes, and went to the, the um, altar and prayed to God. And then sat at the table and asked for food. And they asked him, how you prayed and fasted you did without while your infant son was dying yet when he dies now you ask for food and you bathe and you praise God and he said my son cannot come back to me except by the will of God but I can go to my son and that's the hope that each of us have to see Jean again I am so thankful for Jean being in our life and I love my wife. I love the Lord. But brother, I loved your wife. I loved how she loved those people, especially my wife. I loved how she was a woman of God, ready to speak not only her, her thoughts and her opinion, but to speak God's word. I loved watching her with her family. Thank you for sharing, Gene, with us. These are wonderful, wonderful stories of my Aunt Jean. At this time, let's move on in the service to a message from the Word from our pastor. Well, for those of you who are from this church, you know that I'm not pastor of Emmy. Some of you know they had a child about three days ago. And then COVID came to visit them, so they're a little preoccupied. And so I've come to pitch hit. Uh, I'm Terry Dorsett. I've known Jay and Jean for many, many years. I serve at the Baptist Churches of New England, of which this church was a founding member back some 50 years ago. We've heard some wonderful, <clears throat> wonderful memories of Jean. Some of those I knew. Some of them I did not know, so I enjoyed, enjoyed that. I'm actually relieved to know that she did like me. Thank you. <laughs> I am relieved. <laughs> uh, wonderful, wonderful stories. And yet, in, woven into all of those stories, you also heard about trials and difficulties. Uh, childhood leukemia, having to care for that. Uh, 
different, different struggles. I think about being the parent uh, when Jay was off somewhere for six months or whatever. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not, I don't have a dog in the Navy Air Force fight, but does the Air Force send you off for six months on a boat? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you guys sort that one out. I don't know. You know, uh, uh, you know she had some, some struggles in life, and then obviously these last year or so, the struggle with cancer uh, that eventually took her life, she had struggles, and yet somehow in the midst of those struggles, she found joy, she found a deeper faith. You know, I love the way they several times as people share, they talk about how her faith deepened at this point, and this point, and this point. It seemed like the struggle that came actually made her stronger instead of bitter or angry or why is this happening to me? No, it made her stronger. What a beautiful thing. Where does all of that come from? How does someone who endured so much for so long still accomplish so much and make such a difference. Well, I'm reminded of the words that Jesus wrote. He said them in John chapter 14, and you're probably familiar with these. John chapter 14, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and they had gone through a a somewhat challenging period as disciples, and they were trying to figure all this out for themselves. And so Jesus spoke to them, and he said these words, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. What fitting words to read this morning to not let our hearts be troubled. Throughout Jean's life, she went through various challenges, various difficulties, and yet she found strength, greater strength with each difficulty, greater faith with each difficulty, because she understood something about letting your heart not be troubled. There is something about the world in which we live in now in which we tend to focus on the trouble. We focus on the the difficulties and the hardships of life, and it's made our society, uh, I think, less strong and less fragile because we're more fragile because we focused on all of the the troubles. Jean knew how to focus on something different than the troubles. She had troubles, but she wasn't focused on those. She was focused on the answer to the troubles, which was Jesus Christ. I love this when Jesus was talking here in this scripture. He says, you believe in God, but believe also in me. Now you can hear from my accent that I'm also a native of Maine. (laughs) I moved here in 93 from South Carolina. You probably heard that. When I moved to New England, I was told, oh, everyone up there is an atheist. No one believes in God. Uh, That's not true, by the way. That's what I was told when I moved here. But it's not true. Almost everyone that I meet believes in something up there. They cannot necessarily articulate it. They cannot necessarily explain it all. But I meet very few New Englanders who are actually atheists. They all believe in something. Jesus said, hey, it's good to believe in something. It's good to believe in God. It's good to believe in something like that. But he says, believe also in me, meaning himself, Christ. 
You see, Christ was trying to get us to change our focus from all the troubles and all the challenges and all the hardships in life, and there are many of them. If we went around the room, we could all make our list, right? He was trying to get us to change our focus from all the troubles to that faith in Him. Because having faith in Him shifts our thinking from the current momentary afflictions to the eternity that we will have with Him. He says here in this verse, In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, I don't know exactly what uh, it's like to live in a mansion. I've never lived in one, uh, but I'm looking forward to it someday. You know, we'll get to heaven. We'll live in a mansion. I toured a mansion in Newport. If you haven't been to Newport, Rhode Island, you've got to go down there and tour all the mansions. That's the way the other half lives, I guess. You know, what an amazing thing. This scripture tells us that Jesus was going to prepare a place for us, that that eternity uh, that he is preparing for us, that he's going to prepare that place. This scripture was written 2,000 years ago. Think about it what heaven must be like if he's been preparing it for 2,000 years. You know, Jay was in the, the Navy. and All right, go Navy. We'll give you a plug here now. All right, go Navy. All right. You know, one of the shipyards, you know, they built ships. Impressive. I don't know what it took, two years, five years. I don't know how long it took to build a ship. I guess it depended on the ship, right? It took so many years, and then it's done. Jesus has been working on heaven for 2,000 years. It means that whatever we think heaven is like, whatever we have imagined that it is like, whatever we have sort of assembled from our study of Scripture and our own thinking, whatever we think it is, it is more than we could ask or imagine because he's been working on it for so long. Can you imagine when Jean got there? Now she taught her Zoom Bible study and she had her ideas and she had her thoughts and she probably told the guy at the door, Peter, well, here's what I think is going to happen, right? Who knows? I don't know, you know? She had her thoughts but she walked through those pearly gates, and she said, Ooh, that's better than I thought. Ooh, ooh, look at that. That's cooler than I thought. And as she walked around, and even now, after being there for two months, she's still looking around, finding things, going, This is better than I anticipated. Better than I imagined. Because that's what Christ does. Christ does more than we could ask or imagine in our life. And Jesus is preparing a place for us. Now, I, I, I like Thomas in this story. Some people don't like Thomas. Thomas sometimes gets a bad rap. Sometimes people call him Doubting Thomas. I don't know if that's really fair. I think he was just the guy who asked questions. And I like Thomas because I like to ask questions. I mean, there's times when Thomas asks a question, and I go, yeah, yeah, like, I want to know the answer to that too. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, don't be overwhelmed by the problems of the world. Focus on eternity, which you can find through Christ, and I'm going to make heaven so amazing you're not even going to be able to understand it. And, and, and don't worry, but it's all going to be great. It's all going to work out in the end. And Thomas goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm reading the Terry contemporary version here. Yeah, 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 sure. Pie in the sky and the by and by. But how are we ever going to get there? We don't know all that stuff. I mean, this denomination says that, and that denomination says this, and this church father says that, and this church father says this, and blah, blah, blah. How are we going to know? Thomas like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know all of this. How are we going to get there? I like that because I sometimes have those kinds of questions where I say, Lord, help me figure all this out. And what was the answer that Christ gave to him? Did Christ say, oh, let, let me give you a 27-page theological treatise on the 16 steps to get to heaven? Did he say, well, let me make you an expert on Baptist theology? Now, I'm proud to be a Baptist, all right? But Baptist, there's a few more than just Baptists in heaven. A few, you know. <laughs> now, what was the answer Jesus gave him? It wasn't long. It wasn't fancy. It was simple. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
And no man comes unto the Father but through me. Somehow Jesus seems to strip away all the complexities and all the difficulties and all the, the, the questions that we ask to make it about the person of Christ. We just celebrated Christmas where he came as a baby and we remembered all of that. We had our weeks of Advent and we lit all the candles and we remembered the birth of Christ. In just a few months we'll celebrate Easter and we'll remember his death. It's because of his birth, it's because of his sinless life, it's because of his death, it's because of his resurrection that we can have eternal life. And we may not be an expert on theology. We may not be able to answer all the questions. We might be like Thomas. We might not know all the ins and outs of every piece of theology that's out there. But we can understand who Jesus is. We can understand what Jesus did for us. And like Gene, we can place our faith in Jesus Christ and say, despite my troubles, despite my challenges, despite my difficulties, I can believe in Jesus. And that faith can take me all the way home. And whatever heaven is like, it's going to be better than we imagined because Christ has been working on it for 2,000 years. And I suppose if Jean were here today, she would say to those of us who are already solid Christians, don't let your heart be troubled. Cling to your faith in Jesus because it's going to be amazing when you get here. That's what she's going to say. For those of us who might not yet have come to understand who Jesus is in our life, she would say, don't let your heart be troubled. Just figure out the Jesus piece and don't worry about the rest. And you'll get here. And it'll be better than you can imagine. If we'll understand who Jesus is, he is the way, the truth, and the life, then we can find that same hope, that same confidence, that same faith that Gene found. And what a difference it can make in our life. We can't eliminate all the troubles we can find strength as we go through the troubles, through our faith in Christ, just as Gene did. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? and Would you let me say a prayer of comfort for you? And then for those who feel comfortable, after I say a prayer of comfort, we will say the Lord's Prayer together. Lord, we pray right now in this moment that your Holy Spirit might offer us comfort. For those who are already committed Christians, we pray that our faith might give us a deep strength and that our hearts will not be troubled, but our faith in Christ will carry us through whatever troubles we experience. We thank you that you did that in Jean's life, and now she's in heaven saying, wow, this is better than I ever imagined. Lord, I pray for those here who might not yet be believers, that they would not just have a vague belief in God, but they would understand who Jesus Christ is that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And they would turn to faith in him so they too might have that promise of heaven that will be better than we can imagine. And Lord, as we go through the momentary afflictions and the momentary trials and the momentary difficulties in life, help us to focus upon you and who you are. And that focus on you will get us our minds off of our troubles and on to eternity. Give us that comfort. And Lord, in those moments when we're just overwhelmed and don't even know how to pray in those moments bring to mind those words that you taught us our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now if you would stand and let's sing together Jean's favorite hymn. We'll sing about the amazing grace that she had claimed as her own. On behalf of the Smith family, the Littlefield family, Solomon family, and God's family, I want to just say thank you for being here and just remind you about the fact that Navy is a superior service. <laughs> and you're all invited to come downstairs to the fellowship hall, even though Gene didn't cook the food and probably won't be as good, but just the same. I think you'll have a great time sharing, and there's a, a blank verse guest book down there, and I'm encouraging you to write in it, or for the Air Force guys, they can use a crayon, they can write stuff, <laughs> and uh, just feel uh, whatever you want to write or say, it's uh, um, open blank pages, just fill them up. So again, uh, thank you all for being here. It's a uh, it's a joy to celebrate a life well lived. 
So enjoy the time in the fellowship hall. Downstairs, you'll find it.